Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Love of Life podcast. It's going to be a different episode, I think. Uh, we're actually going to talk about a book, The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, and we're going to break down some of the components of the book and really talk about uh, our culture and the masks that we wear, the things that we as a people hide behind. So regardless if you've read the book or not, um, I don't think is that relevant. If you have read the book, you'll probably get more out of this. But if you haven't, pick up a copy and uh, read it. So yeah. we'll... And there will probably be spoiler alerts, just yes. to warn you. Yeah, there probably will be. So there's your warning. <laughs> Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Okay, so we are going to talk about The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, and we're going to give... A little bit of background on the book itself, a little bit of the story, and then go from there. So, sure. You just finished it a week ago. I believe is that right? So. I finished it a few weeks ago. I read it. I was I couldn't put it down. It's one of those books from high school that I didn't read during my high school years. It's I I skipped it somehow, but I picked it up. I read it, and I couldn't put it down. It's very well written. And uh, you thought the same thing, didn't you? I did, yeah. And I also did not read it in high school. Um, I bought it a couple years ago. Because I thought you did read it in high school. I didn't. Really? But I bought it a couple years ago because I thought I should read the classics that I didn't read in high school. Right. And then it sat on our shelf until you picked it up. Yeah. But you reading it prompted me to also read it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is the only novel, I want to say, by Oscar Wilde. He uh, went to prison over the book, this book and other lewd acts that he did in his life. Yeah. But this book, uh, during his trials, the author's trials, uh, they use this book as a way to further frame him and say, see, you are a very immoral human being and you deserve to be locked away in prison. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't on trial because of the book. The book just came. The book was banned at one time. Really? Yes. Well, this was a banned it book. It didn't sell very well, but people did question yeah. the morality of the book. Although I think that's really interesting because one thing we've discussed about this book is it's certainly calling evil evil. Mm -hmm. Like even the main character who you kind of see go from maybe kind of good to progressively worse and worse, um, you're not cheering for him. You're not like there's maybe. Let's start right there. Okay. Let's start right there. So, for those that haven't read the book, mm -hmm. the main character is. The main character is Dorian Gray. Shocker. <laughs> um, and then some other key characters are Lord Henry Wooten and a guy named Basil. And 
Um, so in the beginning of the book, you see that Basil and Lord Henry Wooten are friends. Lord Hen- Henry Wooten is kind of a bloviator. He's full of nonsensical, just crazy ideas and theories. He's a fun character to listen to, but everything he says is like nonsense. He obviously Hogwash. leads an immoral life that his only... Uh, his, the only good in life for him truly is to maintain one's youth, to yes. maintain one's youngness. He's all about youth and he praises foolishness. And like there's even at an early dinner party, um, a lady who is asking, how can you stay young or how can you be young? And he says, did you make mistakes when you were young? And she's like, oh, yes, of course. And he goes, we'll do them all over again. And she's like, <laughs> Oh, I like that. And so then he goes on this whole like splurge of just talking about how great to embrace foolishness and repeat mistakes on purpose and that that keeps you young. It's he's just full of, yeah, nonsense. So you see him in the beginning and Basil, they're friends. And then Basil kind of reluctantly tells him that he has met someone who Basil's a painter um, who has changed his art, who just the personality of this guy just um, captures him, like almost to the point where he's like worshipful of him. But he has never painted better. It's like he's on the height of his painting and his talent. Um, and he does not want Lord Henry to meet him because he says, you will corrupt him. You have a way of doing that. So... Everything that is good to Basil is kind of wrapped up in Dorian Gray. And Dorian Gray doesn't know that Basil feels like this about him. It's kind of Basil's secret, but he just, he has him sit for him and he paints him and he paints, you know, these inspired things. So he paints his magnum opus, what he deems as the greatest work he's ever done. Eventually. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah, He thinks it's it's beautiful. Does find a way to come in to Basil's studio and he meets Dorian Gray while Dorian, while Basil is painting his magnum opus why while he's painting this portrait of Dorian Gray and so the whole time he's like finishing up he's like not even listening to what Lord Henry and Dorian are talking about but Lord Henry fills Dorian Gray with all of this nonsense about how youth is the only thing that matters once you age like it's all over for you and all these theories and Dorian Gray is kind of like this youthful boyish kind almost even guy but there's something about this conversation and this bill of goods that Lord Henry sells him that like it changes him in this afternoon of conversation. He starts to think, oh, he's right. Once I'm not young anymore, I'll be spoiled. And so much so that when he sees this painting that Basil's done of him, that's lovely. He is already jealous of it. He's like, in two months, it'll be two months younger than I am. Like, <laughs> it, he's distraught that this painting, this picture of his youth is forever captured. And it's like going to haunt him for his life because it'll always be younger. He will get wrinkles. He will get old. This painting will not. And so kind of in this moment, he cries out and almost makes like a prayer that that won't be. That it, it that won't be the case. Do you remember how he... He essentially... Doesn't he try to make a deal with God saying, please allow me to maintain my youth and give old age to this portrait yeah. that has been painted? I don't... Let me, let me not take upon the, the, the horror 
of getting older and the lines and the age and everything that comes with it that Henry Wooten just put fear into Dorian Gray saying, hey, once you get old, man, it's over. Yep. So he makes a deal with God. He does. And... And then he takes the painting home. Basil lets him have it. And... Um, it's there, kind of life goes on and he ends up, Dorian Gray, um, visiting this playhouse where he sees, um, this young woman acting and is this the next thing that happens? I was good. Well, that's why I, I was thinking that was the next thing that it's happened. It's the next was, big thing. There's dinner parties and there's lots of talking. Lots and, of philosophy and talk and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, the next, next main plot thing is that he sees this young woman. She's he falls head over heels for her. He's in love. He thinks that she's the best thing ever. And he tells his friends, Basil yes. and Henry Wooten. And of course, they they throw that. They, they basically say, you're too young for love. You're silly. It's infatuation. Don't, don't, you know, you don't give away everything to one woman. You know, go off and have fun, splurge, have a good time while you're at it. Don't just settle down for one woman right now. You're too young and too beautiful or too handsome. I mean, I think they call him beautiful because he really is. He's a... He's a Brad Pitt of sorts <laughs> kind of dude, uh, in the which I do think Brad Pitt read this book or something and made some kind of deal a long time. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. But so he sees this woman. He's head over heels for her. He he lo- he he immediately is infatuated, and then he wants to go see her perform because she's an actress. Um, he wants his friends to see. And he want well, he wants to see her again. Oh, he goes back over and over, and then he meets her, and he won't tell her his name, but. She calls him Prince Charming, and um, her mom's not so sure about him, but she's okay as long as he's rich. But they don't know. He actually does come from wealth. Um, and then this the actress's name is Sybil Vane, and she has a brother who's like, if he breaks your heart, I'll kill him. Um, <laughs> so anyway, you kind of get that there's this romance going on between them. He's not just watching her act anymore. He's in love with her, and he pretty much promises to marry her. So then... Soon after that, his friends are going to come see her act. So it's like the next night, and she's terrible. They're watching, and she just is not like he's ever seen her act before. She's not real anymore. Like, she's not really the characters, because he talks about how she's Juliet, and she's, I don't remember who the other characters are. She plays a lot of Shakespeare, but um, she really is those people and then she's not. It's like the spark is gone from her acting. She's terrible. And he is so embarrassed. And he is like ag- in agony. And he's suffering during this act. So anyway, his friends are kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. This girl's not good. But okay, sure. She's, she's beautiful. Good job. <laughs> um, and they don't get it. And he's like, no, this isn't how she was like just a night ago. But basically, he had wanted to marry her and make her famous, and he had all these grand plans, and he really wasn't so much in love with her as he was in love with her talent. So afterwards, he goes to her, and he's like, what have you done? What did you just make me suffer through? And my friends? And she's like, oh my goodness, well, I found what true love is because of you. So how could I play these parts? All that was real to me before until I met real love and now it's all fake it's it's not real it's I'm set free I'll never act again and he just like he loses it like a switch is flipped he's has he's done with her it's over 
that's terrible. That's not acceptable. Um, and so he's like very cold to her. And then she's like, wait, wait, I've only not pleased you one time ever. Like it's over. And she starts to cry. And then that she's like crying and falling apart makes him even more disgusted at her. He has no pity for her. It's like his heart is growing harder and colder. And he's basically just standing there while she's like falling apart and trying to go, wait, this was like real love. And now you're just done. Like she can't reconcile it. And he just walks away. Um, and he's never going to see her again. He's just, yeah, what a mistake. Oh, I how I wasted my time just loving her. And <laughs> yeah. uh, He kind of has a few Shakespeare lines himself. Just yeah. high, high drama, um, a lot of pathos in the book. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, at that point, he makes these vows. Oh, it's terrible. I'll never love her again. And, 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 and what happens? But he does that evening. He does kind of have um, a moment where... He thinks he thinks over it and he realizes that he was wrong and he should do what's right and he should marry her and he should follow through on that and you know it was just the one thing and yes she made him suffer but so he's he's wrestling with his conscience about it and he writes her this like long love note and basically is going to make it right and is going to go forward and marry her and all that well then Lord Henry shows up, and he's got news. I guess he's not heard any of this, but she killed herself. She committed suicide. So then Lord Henry's, like, anything Lord Henry says, he takes as, like, just truth. And then you hear him quote Lord Henry, like, all through it. Like, any philosophy or thing that Lord Henry says, even off the cuff, like, just he says it in a moment. It becomes, like, the ethos of Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. So he tells him all this stuff about. So at first, when he hears it, he is mortified and he's like, I'm responsible because of how I acted. And oh my goodness, like this first like love letter I've ever written is to a dead woman. And just he feels the responsibility of some of it. But then Lord Henry is telling him, you know, oh, how beautiful that she killed herself over true love. It's, it's I wish an apt a, ending. He says, I wish a woman had killed herself over. For me, essentially, he, he, he views it like it's some kind of badge of honor that a woman yes. would kill herself for him. And a romantic ending. Somehow it's wonderful, yeah. Yeah. Again, he's very backward on he's super <laughs> all, backward. Of his, all of his positions. On everything. But then by the end of it, Dorian's like, oh, yes, you're right. Yeah. How romantic. How wonderful. Huh. And he doesn't feel bad about it anymore. Like you're just seeing this shift. Does he know about the picture yet? Or we don't know yet. I don't know at that point if he knows about the picture yet, but that is pretty much next okay. for sure. It either happens. That's the main turning point. Right. Like he does this terrible thing and then he reframes. He does a lot of reframing. He feels okay about it. Yeah. Because Lord Henry's helped him kind of see it differently. So then it's somewhere thereafter that he finds, he, he looks at the picture of himself. And he sees that it's. It was after the act. Okay. Because then he sees that the, the portrait. Has aged. The portrait even... And at some point it even accrues blood on the portrait itself. And he begins to... In the hand or something. In the hand, yeah. Yeah, so he he starts to see that the the portrait is growing older. But when he looks in the mirror, he's his own age. He he has not aged at all. Yeah, so basically you find that every sin he commits, everything he does that's bad, this portrait 
bears the look and the weight of. It's aging and it's also incurring the ugliness of his soul, of what he's doing, while he remains beautiful and untouched and unaffected by his behavior. Um, it does not appear on his face at all in any way. Um, so at first, it's kind of this, like, kind of this terrible thing to see, like, what he does and then see it, like, in the picture. But then it's also almost this exciting thing. What else can he do to make this picture look uglier? And then, haha, while he is still looking young. Right. It almost is delightful to him um, that all of this is just being passed onto the portrait. But then, of course, he doesn't want anyone to see it. And it checks it constantly. And even when he's gone from his house off doing something, he fears that someone will see it and discover. Like, basically, the portrait is a living window, a living picture of his soul. Um, and then he even hides it in, in an attic where he has the key. No one else can get into it. He really locks it away from the rest of the world. The world does not know the secret of Dorian Gray. And it still kind of consumes him. Completely. Yeah. And so then um, he just keeps living life and he does lots and lots of terrible things. He's really, really a vile person, but no one suspects it because he looks beautiful and he looks young and everyone thinks him incapable of wrongdoing because of this outward exterior. Um, and there are moments that he kind of battles with his, what he knows of himself to be true. And then he kind of buys their nonsense and it's like, oh yes, I'm beautiful, so I must be fine. Um, right. so the next big thing is like the big thing. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, there's all these rumors, like there'll be people who hang out with him for a time or really close to him and then they have nothing to do with him. There's rumors going all around London about him and Basil gets word of it and he's drawn back from Basil a great deal. Um, he never sat for him again after that one portrait and he's kept up with Lord Henry, but not Basil at all. So Anyway, he's kind of, he, one night he runs into Basil and he tries to pretend he doesn't notice him. He doesn't really want to see him. Um, but Basil notices him and is like, hey, I've been looking everywhere for you. And he's like, I, I need to talk to you. And he's like, no, 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 let's not. So he resists. But anyway, they end up having this conversation and Basil's like, I am hearing all this awful stuff about you, but I know it can't be true. Look at you. Even seeing you makes me sure you're incapable. Like, you're beautiful. And actually, all these years have gone by. He's like really getting older. He's at this getting point. older and he's not aging. He's not aging. To any of us. And, and no one. That's the thing about the about the story. It's it, they notice it, but they don't notice it. Mm -hmm. Like if it was us and we saw someone who really wasn't aging at all, it would be like, what is going on? Like, what what is the secret here? And what, what are you doing? But it's a book. But it's a book. Yeah. No. So. Um, so, I still I still think it's Brad Pitt syndrome, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So Basil is like, you know, please tell me this stuff isn't true. If you tell me it's not true, I will believe you. But, you know, I just keep hearing all these awful things. And pretty much Dorian's attitude through it, like that he's like, oh, what do they know? And he dismisses all of it. And he's just kind of doesn't take any of it seriously. Basil's like, oh, my gosh. Really? Like, I'm starting to believe this now because of how you're you're being. And then Dorian's like, oh, do you, do you want to see? Do you really want to see? And he's like, I have something to show you. So he brings him up to this attic secret room. And there's almost like this thrill of, yeah, I'm going to let him see my soul and what he's done. Because he kind of blames Basil for his whole life predicament. 
of having this portrait keep track of his soul and like that he's got this warring with his conscience because Basil painted it. Like he, he casts the responsibility on everyone else. But anyway, so he shows Basil and Basil doesn't even recognize it. He's like, what in the world? But then he looks and he's, he's like, what has he done to my painting? But he looks and his brush strokes are there. It's like from the inside out that this painting is becoming hideous and ugly. And um, so then he's like, when he sees it, he says, you must, basically you must repent. Like you have to even now cry out for forgiveness and there will be for you. And Dorian's like, no, it's too late for me. There's no forgiveness. Um, but he's pleading with him to to start new, to start fresh. And the idea does come to Dorian a few times, like maybe I can do something good and reverse the effects of this portrait, but he never is able to do so. Um, so while Basil is like begging him for the sake of his soul to turn from his, his wickedness, um, there's another snap in Dorian and all of a sudden he loathes Basil and he loathes him that he would even make him sit through this rebuke it like just annoys him basil's making him suffer he's saying rude things about him um <laughs> which are all true but anyway in like this moment he picks up a knife and he stabs him and it's terrible i mean he just kills him in cold blood and then he doesn't even he's like the thing is to just not look at it like pretend it didn't happen <laughs> so he like leaves him dead in this room and like just doesn't even want to acknowledge that he's done it but there is still kind of this weight of the guilt on him. But anyway, so then he basically he blackmails a guy who he was friends with, who obviously they did something terrible. He corrupted. He, he corrupted. corrupted this individual. He has a he has secrets on this individual, which uh, the writer Oscar Wilde he does not um, he doesn't oh, share he doesn't share with the audience what these secrets are. But basically, the man agrees to help dispose of the body he has no other choice and then that man ends up killing himself later too um but yes he helps dispose of the body so basically he gets away with it there's kind of this pleasure in living a double life that now he's around people but he's really done this terrible thing and nobody knows it um and then he's starting to crack up though a little like he's at a dinner party and lord henry's like what is wrong with you because he's just kind of off so he is struggling with it but he's also not like when he thinks back about it, he doesn't really have guilt or remorse. He just has kind of a nagging. Um, and so anyway, then how does he get down to the docks? How does that happen? What, what prompts that? When he sees all the people that he uh, was in league with and everybody there knows mm -hmm. him. He was after something. He was after something. He was going to go there for a reason. Yeah. I can't remember what. If he was just going to do something horrible or just wanted to get high on opium and not think about it. He wanted to be where nobody knew him. So he right. goes to the shady part of town. I think it's so that he can get high and just, like, escape. Um, but there ends up being this sailor there who overhears somebody call him Prince Charming, which kind of ties him back to Sybil Vane. And the guy that overhears it is James Vane, who was her brother, who vowed that if he should break his sister's heart, he would kill him. So he does chase him down, and he has him, like, at, at gunpoint or knife point, something. He's going to kill him. I think it's gunpoint. Um, 
And then he's like, you know, basically he wants him to confess that he's the one that hurt his sister all those years ago because it's been like 18 years. And so Dorian's like trying to figure out how to get out of it. And then he realizes, oh, wait, how long did you say it's been? It's like 18 years. He's like, well, look at my face in the light. So then the guy sees him and he's like, oh, this guy's way too young. Like there's no way that this could be a guy that was, you know, 20, 18 years ago. So he lets him go. And Dorian's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You better put that thing away. You, you be careful now. Um, <laughs> and then he goes on. And then this lady comes up to him after and basically says, yeah, that actually was Dorian Gray. I don't know why his face, you know, looks like that, but he's the guy that you were after. So then he's like, you just see that he's like left going, ah, I was going to avenge my sister and I missed my opportunity. So he tries to chase him down. He doesn't see him. So then not long after Dorian Gray is at this dinner party and kind of in the back of his head, he's going, oh my gosh, is this guy going to be after me? Am I free from that? Um, and he's upstairs and he sees the guy outside of the window and he faints. And then everyone's like, what's wrong with Dorian Gray? When he comes to, he's like, oh, you know, how I'm being tormented and I'm seeing things. And then a few days later, people are outside shooting on their property and a guy's about to shoot a rabbit and Dorian Gray's like, no, don't shoot it. And he's like, ha how funny, you don't want me to shoot it. And he shoots it. <laughs> And then actually there was a guy in the woods that was like facing the wrong way as all the shooters and got killed. Turns out that it was James Vane. So you don't see Dorian get his. You see that guy accidentally murdered. Um, and then there's like relief for, <laughs> actually there's like a shout of joy from Dorian Gray when he realizes that the man that was murdered um, was the guy that was after him for what he had done. Um there's probably some other details in there, but anyway, then... You're just about to the end. I'm just about to the very end, <laughs> yeah. So you see that happen, and then um, Lord Henry and Dorian Gray are talking, and again, it's like he's he struggles with this. Oh, he decides he's going to be good. After that, he's going to be good. He sets this resolution that he's going to see if he can fix this portrait, if he can redeem some thread of his life. And so he's talking to Lord Henry and he's like, you know, I did a good thing. The first good thing I've done in years. And Lord Henry's like, oh, tell me. He's like, no, I don't want to tell you. You'll laugh. And he's like, oh, come on, tell me. So he tells him that he's met this young girl and basically, you know, instead of corrupting her, instead of ruining her, he walks away from the relationship, keeps her, you know, just good doesn't ruin her and Lord Henry laughs and he's like you didn't do that for her you did that for yourself you did it so you'd feel good about you and you also did it because the sensation would be new and exciting to walk away you've never done that before like so basically he says yeah even in your trying to do a good thing it's all been self-serving and that disheartens Dorian um, but still, he wants to see. Was there a change in the portrait? Because he really had good intentions, he believes. So he goes and he looks at the portrait. And yeah, there's hypocritical eyes. And there's a sinister smile. And no, he has not made it better. In fact, Lord Henry's right. He really did it just for himself. And he hasn't moved the needle. And he decides the only thing that can be done is for this painting to be destroyed. I'm just going to end it. I'm going to end the life of the painting and then I will be free um, 
from this trap. And then you hear a scream and then his servants rush into the room and there on the wall is hanging the portrait of their master as they had last seen him. Lovely, beautiful, young. And there's a dead body on the floor and he is so old and so ugly and so wrinkled. They can't tell who he is <laughs> except by his jewelry. They know he's Dorian Gray. <laughs> the end. It's haunting. So these are totally spoiler alerts. I'm so sorry if you haven't read it. I just told you that. I Hold think if, if, if they've stayed with us as long as the synopsis, they would have either turned us off because they didn't want to hear the end. True. Um, or they didn't care, which is, you know, fine because some people probably will be like, well, whatever. That's... I'm never going to read it anyway. And then there's others that have read it and said, oh, yeah, I, I, I remember that. Refresh. Thanks for the refresh on, on the book there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really good. So there's been some themes regarding the book, and there's mm -hmm. been much conversation in the last few days between us about various things. Um, so we can hit on uh, culture. We can hit on standards, mm -hmm. um, beauty, our standard of beauty, and um, why our culture looks at beauty as the highest good. So I guess maybe let's start there because that's essentially the, that's the theme woven throughout the entire book. A lot of vanity, a lot of outward. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So in our, in our discussions that we've had, when we see our culture, what do we value the most? Yeah. External things. For external sure. things. Mm -hmm. External. Youth, beauty, material things. Right. I mean, in our culture, our yeah, bodies. You're you're successful if you are either rich or good looking. <laughs> I yeah. mean, those are, you know, just easy things that our culture overall um, values. Right. And there's even like so in the book, um, when he tells this young girl at the very end, Dorian Gray, when he tells her like, "You don't want anything to do with me. I'm I'm walking away from you. I'm truly evil." She laughs and she goes, "You couldn't be evil. You couldn't possibly. Mm. Everyone who's evil is ugly and old like you're not those things um that's what i was going to hit on right there okay when we look at people and they're good looking successful people for the most part unless we know of an evil streak we assume things about them immediately if it's a beautiful woman or a good looking man mm -hmm. we immediately assume oh well they must be good look at the external look at the outside yeah. But if you're right. around somebody right. long enough, that is right. I think we make that initial judgment yeah. based on appearance. But you can be around someone who might be lovely on the outside, but if they are not lovely inwardly, yeah. then over time they become less and less so. Or someone who maybe physically isn't just a stunner it, or they, <laughs> you know, they don't have that rose of youth, but they are lovely in spirit and in heart then they become outwardly lovely. It is like an inward out kind of thing. Some people that we have just for years been like, oh, that couple, like just the way that they express the love of Christ haven't been, you know, necessarily lovely. And they've been an older generation and they've been people that by the world standards, they would look and just go, okay, they wouldn't, nothing special. They physically wouldn't stand out. Right. But, but but yet their actions and who they are internally, it radiates out of their person. Mm -hmm. Christ yeah. radiates out of them. Yeah. And it is it, it, it draws you in. 
Yes, yes. As Ma Wilder would say. <laughs> yes. From Little House on the Prairie? That's right. Okay. Pretty is as pretty does. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay, I have to say, like, reading this in juxtaposition with reading Little House, like, <laughs> there's this scene in Little House where one of the Little House books, I can't keep them straight. We've read them too closely together. Um, they're all kind of one. But Lara is getting older, and she's got, like, this new hat and this new dress, and she's a young woman now. And the family's admiring her, and even Ma praises her, but then she only praises her for so long, and then she just says, just remember, pretty is as pretty does. Like, she's okay with saying, hey, physically, you look beautiful, but don't be taken in by your own vanity. The exact opposite of what everyone tells Dorian Gray. They're like, you're beautiful. You should, you know, just be glad about it and throw a celebration that you are beautiful. Um, but only Dorian knows he is learning throughout the book that pretty is as pretty does because his portrait is bearing the guilt of all that he does. He still has this outward mask of beauty, but he knows inwardly he is ugly and mm -hmm. only getting uglier. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's very intriguing because there's there's two sides of the ditch, right? There's the side that says um, beauty is the only thing that matters, sort of the Henry Wooten type character. And then there's the side that would say beauty doesn't matter at all. Shun it. Don't try to look good. Don't, you know... I don't want to. Frumpy is virtuous. Frumpy is virtuous and all that. Like, I wouldn't jump on that side at all, nor would I want to. But that being said, I think as a culture, what we've seen, what we talk about, and what we can witness on any social media platform is we want to follow the beautiful because we want to be beautiful. We, yeah. we do things primarily for uh, our own vanity, for our own sexual pursuits. Uh, and it's, it's very, all of it is really internalized as what can the self get out of this? Mm -hmm. If I can accrue this external, be it, you know, car, house or face, body, whatever, then I will be happy if I can just get this. But in similar manner, Dorian, by asking God to give him what he wanted in a fictional story, he got what he wanted. Everyone gets what they want. They don't always like it. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. As, as Lewis aptly put it. So even if we were to have to drink from, even if we could drink from the fountain of youth, it's, that is not going to bring us everlasting happiness or, or a, a lasting fulfillment on the earth. It can't. So how do you, how do you walk in balance? How do you not just say, okay, well, who cares? You know, who cares if you clean your house, who cares if you brush your hair um, or, and, and not care, but then on the other side, not care too much. Like, how do you have that balance of? Well, <laughs> I think, oh, here's the thing. I think it matters on what our, what our influences are. If our influences are, and I'll pick on the Kardashian world, because we have a lot of people that really actually keep up with this family, <laughs> no pun intended. And I, I always have found that just ironic and just crazy that people... Anyway, if our eyes are fixated on people like that, from the standpoint that we look at that and we say, if I look this way, and, I, you know, you pick, pick your person out there in the world you want to follow. I just pick on them because I think they're the easiest to point out. We all have heard of them. And we all know what they're about. Material, 
and body. I mean, that is primarily the draw into them. That is what has sucked our young culture, especially, and even middle-aged people, into this world of, I want to look like this, I want to talk like this even, uh, I want to resemble this because this is the model of beauty. But is it? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I mean, are they pretty re- people? Yes, but it's, yeah. Not not people you would want to truly be like. Not people who are life-giving. Not people who so walk in truth. If, if, if our... If our, if our viewpoint if our if, if what we're taking in if what we're being influenced by is our our tiktoks our media sensate our, our our media personalities our entertainers who are screaming at us through either song or 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 words or books this is what you need to have we're going to continually have people that look at that as the object of desire Mm -hmm. and that's going to be the greatest object of desire so i mean first step it's like you're saying we become like what we worship we become like what we watch what we worship what we what we are absorb this this came to me months ago I, i i told you this came to me months ago i was holding my phone in my hand and I was looking at it and I thought to myself, it, it, I don't, you know, this wasn't an epiphany. It just, it was a realization that whatever I am observing um, and really taking in, it is influencing me throughout the day. Twitter, Facebook, um, pictures that I take at home of our children or what, whatever it is that I am, I am obs- uh, observing and absorbing that is with the phone and with media uh, songs, movies, all of this is seeping in. All of this is getting inside of me and it is transforming me. That's why Romans says, be ye not transformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm -hmm. I think that was almost a Mm -hmm. direct quote from Romans 12 one. Um, so, you know, if we're constantly just taking those things in, that is what is going to come out. Mm And this particular culture, more than probably at any other time in history, because of the ubiquity of anything on demand within seconds, um, that is what our culture cares about the most, is health, beauty, riches. And it's being thrown in our faces regardless if we like it or not. Or if we think or if we're, we're being or if impacted we're, or not. Or Exactly. Because no matter what, we are, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think that that's one way of at least acknowledging where the pro- where potentially where the problem is um is to see our influences and to see what is see what we're taking in because I think those things are truly transforming us mm-hmm. and they have transformed us. I mean, you can't I don't know how far we want to go into this, but like you can't go many so much of culture has see i mean when you have instagram models and all these people and then all of a sudden you're around a posse of people that you know in life who are transforming themselves to look a certain way that starts really showing like wow this stuff that we're looking at listening to absorb uh, uh, that is all around us mainly through social media 
all of these are trying, they're, they're, they're not only changing the way we think, they're changing the way we literally look. It's almost like reframing. Like what you see Dorian do over and over in the book. If he doesn't like his actions, he reframes them so it's palatable to him. It's almost like we see these things and then we reframe. We don't even realize that we're doing that and that we're being taken in by this is the ideal. Yeah. This is the... So we have to be really careful what we're taking in and we have to vet it. We have to pay attention. Yeah. I feel like, you know, being um, just really desiring to be in the word daily like and sometimes you know it's like sometimes I'm like oh my gosh that was amazing what I read and sometimes it's like okay I can't keep all these track of who this king and that king and oh another bad one and it's just kind of you know it's lots of narrative and I don't have all the details together but God's word never returns void and there will be things that days later stand out to me that even in the moment I didn't really get but like in the background of my mind I'm constantly thinking about the word Mm -hmm. (laughs) the word that I read that morning or listened to on audio um, like those are the things that are bouncing around in my head those are the things that are or or good literature or good books or theology or conversations that we have I feel like we've tried to purposefully pay pay attention to what we're ingesting and having it try to be God-honoring things that will, like you said, transform our mind and separate us from what the world values and what the world thinks. Like we want to be thoroughly biblical in all of our thinking, in all of what we value, in all of what we deem as good or bad, important, not important. It should all come from God. Because the world is influencing, like Henry Wooten was influencing Dorian Gray, saying, hey, you need to look a certain way. You need to be young for as long as you can. I mean, all of these are messages that are, they're here. I mean, they're they're so relevant. I mean, that's, I would say that's one of the, 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 the loudest messages that we have in our culture, one of them mm-hmm. at least, that young youth beauty that is so that is the highest end of man really that is that is that is the chief goal is to keep this up but we no matter who it is we can't you know we can't we, we, we can't we, we male or female around. it's not picking on females it's it's truly both right and then we turn around and we have influence so we're influenced right. by those things out there but then we influence the people around us we influence our children we influence our friends for either good or bad yeah. Or either furthering them down, walking alongside of them, or being iron sharpening iron and being, you know, lifting lifting up and pointing towards truth. Yeah. So, yeah, what we ingest matters. But back to the book. Yeah. I think some other interesting things were this whole idea of sin and guilt, this whole idea of redemption or not redemption, forgiveness, or there not being forgiveness. Um, one line that Dorian Gray says after he's like, it, he's murdered Basil already. And then he's pondering, like, blood has been spilt. Is there an atonement for this? And he decides, no, there can't be forgiveness. The only thing is to forget. Like, just squish <laughs> it. That's all you can do. Um, so it's interesting that they, one, that they even talk about they quote scripture too. They do. They quote Os- Oscar Wilde yeah. quotes scripture in the book, which is interesting. He's not. He's not a claiming believer, uh, but yet he he seems to have a foundation 
that he points to. Mm-hmm. Because mankind cannot get away from found from the foundational ethic or morality because mankind is made in the image of God. He cannot get rid of it. So even throughout the story, Dorian Gray is constantly, he, he, he comes to the point where he's lamenting his sins as, yeah. as, 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 as you pointed out. And my question would be, well, by what standard Dorian, like, why are you, if you are uh, free to go about, like, what is, why do you feel the need to, to say this is a sin. All you want to do is live your life free, fun and fancy free and to do whatever you want to do as a lot of people want to do. Right. And yet they and, and yet they still operate in the sense of guilt. Right. They, they, they still have guilt for the things that they're doing. They know it's wrong. Yes. Where does that knowledge come from? Where is that foundationally? The fact is we're made in the image of God. So, of course, we cannot get away from that. Right. Yeah. We innately know that there are some things that are wrong. And obviously people can have consciences all over the gamut. But that sense that there is a standard, that if somebody, and Lewis talks about this too, like, you know, you might say, well, that wasn't fair. Even by saying that wasn't fair, you're assuming that there is a such thing as a fair and there being justice. So even at the moment that you're pointing to somebody else's behavior and saying that wasn't right, you didn't do right by me, you're saying that there is a way to act that is right. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you can read your quote, but if mankind was made out of, you know, primordial soup billions of years ago and, and yeah, and all this nonsense, then there is no morality based right. upon what, what is your morality based upon? If that is what, it, you know, because if you want to just live your life and you do you kind of mentality, uh, you still, you can't get away from the fact that there's still guilt involved in sin. And the reason for that is we're made in God's image. Yeah. We can't get away from that. That's right. So at one point when Dorian is talking to Lord Henry, Lord Henry says, By the way, Dorian, he said after a pause, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose, how does the quotation run? His own soul? <laughs> the music jarred. He was playing piano. And Dorian started and stared at his friend. Why do you ask me that, Harry? My dear fellow, said Lord, Lord Henry, elevating his eyebrows in surprise. I ask you because I thought you might be able to give me an answer. That is all. I was going through the park last Sunday and... Close by the marble arch, there stood a little crowd of shabby-looking people listening to some vulgar street preacher. As I passed by, I heard the man yelling out that, con that question to his audience. It struck me as being rather dramatic. London is very rich in curious effects of that kind. A wet Sunday, an uncouth Christian in a Macintosh, a ring of sickly white faces under a broken roof of dripping umbrellas, and a wonderful phrase flung into the air by shrill, hysterical lips. It was really very good in its way, quite a suggestion. I thought of telling the prophet that art had a soul, but that man had not. I'm afraid, however, he would not have understood me. Don't, Harry. The soul is a terrible reality. It can be bought and sold and bartered away. It can be poisoned or made perfect. There is a soul in each one of us. I know it. So he recognizes it. He recognizes it. It's a living picture for him. There's no redemption for him, but he recognizes that he is a soul. He and and as, 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 as Lewis has said, uh, you are a soul, you have a body. That's right. We're all operating as souls running around with flesh, skin on us. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, so he's pointing to, and that's not the only time. There's another time where he says, um, like, he knows there's puni- there should be punishment for some of the stuff that he's done. And he even says, um, I think he's talking about the Lord's Prayer and how we shouldn't pray, um, forgive us our sins. We should pray, uh, smite us for our sins, <laughs> like a just God should punish us. Um, which is interesting, again, from a non-Christian to, like, have this acknowledgement even through this book that there is a God and that there is there should be atonement for sin and that that's necessary he even like weaves that in Um, or what good is it if you gain the whole world if everyone thinks you're beautiful and they're after you you have everything but you lose your soul and Dorian knows very well there is no profit why would you ask me that I don't don't want to think about that question because I see what my soul is, and it's it's hideous. Um, but how how hopeless that he thinks there's no way out. No. That he thinks that there isn't redemption, because through Christ there is. No. Yeah, it's the only element that the book is missing for Dorian, is that there actually is redemption, mm-hmm. even in his state. Obviously, we know you know this is a fictional story, right. but in real life, in in the life that we're all living. There is redemption through Christ, who can save the most tainted of soul. Yeah, even Dorian Gray. Yeah, that's great. Any other closing thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I think that's it, unless you want me to read the last line, because it's just really good. Oh, go ahead. Or you read it, this Which last little look? paragraph in orange. Okay, so it says... The last paragraph of the book. Uh, When they entered, they found hanging upon the wall a splendid portrait of their master, as they had last seen him, and all the wonder of his exquisite youth and beauty. Lying on the floor was a dead man in evening dress, with a knife in his heart. He was withered, wrinkled, and loathsome of visage. It was not till they had examined the rings that they recognized who it was. Yeah, it ends like on this heavy but again it's so good because you see this man who has done all this evil and you know in the end he dies like it's evil is evil in this book and good is good (laughs) there's very little good yeah um as far as people being good but you it's what should happen to evil we shouldn't be cheering evil on and wanting you know there are some movies like modern movies where you're like oh i'm going for that person but they're really bad why am i going for them um because that's like every tv show right now well right well, i mean a couple years so ago twisted. a couple years ago we were watching what was that ozark and really the protagonists they're terror i mean you kind of go criminals. for them but they're criminals i mean they're bad so yeah. they've we've we've convoluted even in our storytelling good and bad. the good and the bad in this book it's obvious who it's, the bad is bad. And, and it's treated accordingly and while in these moments he has he's struggling with his conscience and you're like okay Maybe he can do it. Maybe he can become good or maybe he can chase that. You know, maybe that's some, the spark of something. Um, then in the very next line, you know, he's saying something offhanded about, yeah, well, I don't really think much about Basil and the fact that he, I murdered him. It's, he says something that's so cold and calculated and just aloof that you're like, yeah, okay, no. Like, I wanted James Vane to kill him. Like, that would have... <laughs> been just i mean you know not for him to commit murder truly but he deserved it like he was awful and he leaves all these people in his wake um just broken and right i don't know if we really mentioned that other than quickly in passing but there was throughout the book 
all of these people that he corrupted, anyone that came into Dorian's life, they came into it expecting something wonderful and something great, but they either, their lives were ruined, they committed suicide. Ruined reputation, addicted to drugs, just, I mean, yeah. yeah, he left a great wake. And that's part of when Basil's talking to him, trying to get him to repent. Like, that's part of what he's saying. Like, you are beautiful. You should be using what you are and what you have to influence for good. Like, this should never be said of you, that you're doing these terrible things. Like, you should be inspiring people, not destroying them. No. So. No. That's a good place to end it. Perfect. All right. Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.